Welcome, I am your host, and this is the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Unanswered Questions, where every week we will endeavour to discuss a mysterious unsolved case that has many lingering unanswered questions. So I hope you enjoy, and as always, leave me some feedback on what you think about the show, and rate it as well. Now on to the show. This week we'll be talking about the deaths at Deep Cut Army Barracks. Now, the death at Deep Cut Army Barracks is a series of incidents that took place involving the deaths and obscure circumstances of four British Army trainee soldiers at the Princess Royal Barracks in Deep cut in the country of Surrey between 1995 and 2002. Sean Benton, 20 years old from Hastings, found with five gunshot wounds in June 1995. Cheryl James found dead just five months later. Jeff Gray from County Durham, killed by two gunshot wounds to the head in 2001. And James Collinson from Perth, a single gunshot wound through his chin. Both Private Gray and Collinson were just 17 years old. The army has insisted that all four deaths were suicide. The families dispute that. The most recent inquest took place at Woking Coroner's Court from 2016 to 2019. General Lord Dannett, a former Chief of the General Staff in 2016, stated on BBC Newsnight to Emily Matalis, I'm sorry if I get that name wrong, that it was in his view that, and I quote, there should be a public inquiry into the deep cut barracks deaths, which would be practical and reasonable. End quote. A fourth inquest for one of the recruits, James Collinson, sorry if I get that name wrong, initially due in 2020 to 2021, was halted in 2019. His death remains a mystery and an open verdict. The fatal shootings, self-inflicted according to legal authorities that investigated them at the time of the original events, of recruits and repetition in similar circumstances at the same facility in a comparatively limited period of time, drew substantial press and media attention to the incidents and became an extended legal contest between the families of the trainee soldiers concerned and the legal authorities involved as to what had actually occurred. This culminated in a repeat of the original inquest. In one case, a hiatus of 20 years occurred until a new inquest was conducted. This lengthy legal contest compelled Surrey police authorities to investigate further and created a pressure to reveal Camp Life and its organisation for recruits. The details that emerged over nearly two decades of police and media investigation, interview with recruits, television documentaries and a legal review illustrated a plethora of changes required for the army, especially the Royal Logistic Corps, to make changes to how it recruited and treated military trainees. Senior army officers presided over a catastrophic failure in their duty of care towards recruits, an influential commons committee revealed in 2005. Now, the trainees were in Phase 2 of the British Army's training syllabus with its Royal Logistic Corps at the Princess Royal Barracks in Deep Cut in Surrey when they lost their lives through rifle fire in a series of similar incidents over a six-year period from 1995 to 2002. Now we're going to get into who the four trainees were. So the four deaths were on 9th of June of 1995, Private Sean Benton, 20 years of age, from Hastings, East Sussex, England, died from five bullet wounds in his chest after going on an unauthorised lone patrol of the barracks perimeter. A BBC Panorama investigation claimed the 20-year-old from Hastings in East Sussex was attacked as he slept by a gang wearing gas masks. On another occasion, the programme said he was thrown through a window after falling out of favour with a sergeant for answering back. 
A friend of Private Benton, Trevor Hunter, said the recruit had been the target of vicious verbal attacks and humiliating abuse, which drove him to take his own life. Quote, he was an easy target because he had a croaky voice. He spoke his mind and his kit was a mess. End quote. The army said it was suicide and an inquest concurred. Mr. Swan said it was impossible for Private Benton to have killed himself, suggesting he had been shot four times from a distance and only once from close range. However, there were two witnesses to Private Benton's death and both soldiers gave evidence to the Blake Review of what they saw happen. A second inquest was ordered after a campaign by the family for a full investigation. Amid allegations, he suffered prolonged bullying. It heard from more than 170 witnesses. There were claims the recruit was constantly punished, assaulted, and bullied and at one stage shackled but former barrack staff have said that they would have known if there was a mistreatment of him. At its conclusion in July Judge Peter Rook QC recorded Private Benton's death as suicide. Okay one question how do you put down a suicide as a verdict when he was shot with five bullets? How do you shoot yourself five times with a gun and it's suddenly miraculously ruled as a suicide? I mean that's impossible. How do you shoot yourself five times and somehow it's ruled as a suicide. That's ridiculously improbable. I have read and researched a lot of cases that people have ruled suicides, and I've seen a lot of shenanigans when it comes to, oh, his death was a suicide, oh, he killed himself for this reason or that reason, regardless of what the evidence says. Shooting yourself five times, that's impossible. There's no reasonable way to explain how someone shoots himself five times. I'm sorry. And if it's from a distance, that's just as improbable. You can't shoot yourself from a distance and it'd be called a suicide. Even if you shot yourself from a distance once. It's not suicide. You can't shoot yourself from a distance. How the hell do you shoot yourself five times and and it's a suicide? Once, twice, twice, maybe. Maybe you could get me to believe that it was a suicide. But five times... And if it was with a rifle, that's even more absurd. Depending on look, depending on what he shot himself with, depending on the caliber that he used, shooting himself five times and shooting himself with a rifle, there's no way that he would have committed suicide. Rifle, pistol, whatever, five times? No. Once, yeah, I could possibly believe it, depending on the evidence. Five times, I don't believe that. And if it was done with a rifle, I certainly don't believe it. Someone shot him five times, not he shot himself five times. Then we come to Private Cheryl James. So, on the 27th of November, 1995, Private Cheryl James, 18, from, and I'm going to butcher this name, so please do forgive me, listeners, Fronsolite... Laglin Wales died from a single bullet wound in her head. Her body was found in the woods, not far from her guard post. The army said her death in November of 1995 was suicide, but an inquest the following month recorded an open verdict. This was quashed by the High Court in a second inquest held in 2016 when Coroner Brian Barker QC concluded her death was suicide. He said the wound was self-inflicted and the 18-year-old recruit from, and I'm going to butcher this name, Laglin in North Wales had fired the gun intentionally. Private James' father, Des James, believed his daughter suffered sexual harassment and violence at Deep Cut and said the family was deeply saddened by the conclusions of the inquest. The coroner agreed there was a sexualized atmosphere at the barracks and there were far too few officers to train and look after the young recruits who were bored and undisciplined. When he gave his findings, Mr. Barker praised the Blake Review as meticulous. 
Then we come to Private Jeff. On the 17th of September 2001, Private Jeff Gray, 17, from Sheenham County, Durham, England, died from two gunshot wounds in his head whilst on guard duty, having left colleagues to carry out a lone prowler patrol in contravention of the routine barracks guard duty procedure. The army said he killed himself, and the first inquest returned an open verdict. Some aspects of his death seemed mysterious, including reports that a figure was seen running away from the area and suggestions his body was moved shortly after his death. Then we come to, on the 23rd of March 2002, Private James Collinson, 17, from Perth, Scotland, died from a single gunshot wound in his head whilst performing guard duty, his body being found near the barracks perimeter fence. Once again, the army said the 17-year-old from Perth had killed himself, but an inquest returned an open verdict. His parents insisted he was a happy, cheerful young man, full of pride at being a soldier and making plans for his future, and had no reason to take his life. Mr. Swan said it was unlikely bullet wounds to the underside of Private Collinson Wilson's chin and head were self-inflicted, but it was possible they were the result of an accident. Private Collinson's mother, Yvonne Heath, said, and I quote, I don't believe that my son pulled the trigger, but at the same time, I don't believe anyone wished him dead. I think in the regime at Deep Cut at the time, there was very little supervision. I think some silly prank went terribly wrong, end quote. Now we're going to get into the first inquests. In the original public inquest held after each individual death, the coroner's accepted investigations by the Royal Military Police and Surrey Police and concluded one of suicide in the case of one of the recruits, Sheen Benton, with the other three deaths receiving open verdicts. Over the course of several years, the families of the trainees challenged the original investigations and began a sustained legal campaign to have the circumstances of the deaths publicly re-examined. The British press also gathered further accounts from other recruit soldiers who had been at the barracks at the time of the shootings occurred, uncovering a disturbing picture of abusive trainees in the facility by elements among its training staff, and criticised the original investigations into the incidents for a lack of a forensic examination of evidence. Parliamentary criticism followed and a reconsideration of the scope of the investigations and scrutiny of training within the military of defense. A later review slash reinvestigation by Surrey Police treated the four deaths as potentially related. An investigation consequent to this finding, also by Surrey Police, identified a number of failures of the Army's duty of care at the barracks, leaving the opportunity and motive for suicide available. Its findings were rejected by most members of the families. The findings led to media and families' criticism of the Army's investigations of the deaths over record-keeping, transparency, and particularly maintenance of evidence and forensic material. The most astounding part about this case was the new allegations of gang rape, systemic bullying and sexual harassment at the army's deep cut barracks that were revealed in a leaked police report. The report contains more than 100 allegations of serious abuse at the Surrey training camp where four young recruits died from gunshot wounds between 1995 and 2002. It catalogues claims of rape, indecent assault, degrading treatment and racism made by deep cut trainees during the Surrey police inquiry into the deaths of the four recruits. In the majority of cases, the abuse is alleged to have been carried out by non-commissioned officers or NCOs. However, Surrey police stressed that many of the allegations were untested and advise they be treated with caution. I'd like you to really tell us exactly the sort of things that you saw because you say that you weren't personally um, picked out for ill treatment but you saw it going on so what were the worst things that you were seeing? Um, for example we, we used to get pulled out of our beds at midnight one o'clock in the morning and you had to wear your number two dress which was your you know the smart uh, brown uniform um, you had to wear that you were put on parade at at uh, one o'clock in the morning for no apparent reason. 
Um, and it was during some of those parades that some of the instructors physically hit and abused recruits for absolutely no reason. You know, I, I know th things like that happened in the 70s and 80s. It was normal, but by the time you got to the 90s, I believe that the, the military had changed and instructors were not allowed to touch uh, recruits, but it, it did happen at Deep Cut, and I witnessed that, um, and it happened to several people. Uh, I mean, obviously, when you go in for military training, you expect it to be tough. Of course. But what, what was it particularly that crossed the line between tough and something that, that you've, you and others found much harder and, and darker to deal with? Um, <clears throat> I think it, it was, as I touched on at the beginning, because it was um, second phase training, a lot of people were confused. Purbright, of course, Purbright was brutal, it was difficult, but you expected it to be difficult. It's military training, it's not supposed to be easy, it tests you physically and psychologically, but you expect to... Um, Deep Cut was built up to be you know, a, pl a place of education, which it was because we spent two or three weeks at the School of Logistics studying, studying for our trade training. Um, it was built up to be this place of promise and, and, and promotion, but it, it wasn't like that. You were treated often like... Uh, you were dehumanised completely. No identity, no freedom. You were not allowed to leave the camp during the week unless you were on... Um, you could only leave the camp at weekends unless you were on guard duty. There were no locks on the doors of your room, your accommodation, so anybody could walk in at any time. Um, so it, it was a completely different, different atmosphere to, to, to Purbright. I think that, again, that confused people because you expected it to be a better place because Deep Cut was the place where you were sent to your units, to your job, so to speak. So some of the things that have emerged previously in um, a, an independent review in to the deaths at Deep Cut have included um, things like an instructor riding a bicycle over a recruit um, because they were apparently too fat, trainees having razor blades put in their boots and individuals being slapped, kicked or punched. Mm -hmm. You've described seeing individuals slapped, kicked or punched. Absolutely. What about the other things? Did you ever see anything like that? Uh, no, I, I, I didn't. This is why I say it was insidious because it was unexpected. I think the, the instructors singled out people they did it privately, they did it in rooms, they did it when often a lot of people weren't there. So it, it, it was experiencing something very, very differently. It, I mean, it got, for me, it got so bad that I had a small group of, of friends, only two or three of us, and we literally used to lock each other, each other in cupboards. The cupboard was literally, in Deep Cut, was the only place where the instructors couldn't access because it, it was your private property and every cupboard had a padlock and you had the key. So you, you could only lock it from the outside, and we used to lock each other in the cupboard. I literally spent hours in the dark sat in a cupboard that one of the other recruits had locked me in, and we had an agreement to take it in turns. You know, we used to do that during the day. So why, why would you do that? I think it, it was to escape um, the daily activities. The daily activities were, were meaningless. At Purbright, where you were doing your basic training, everything was systematic, and, and, and you ha there was a reason for everything, whether it was you know, physical training um, on the ranges, learning to use a rifle, um, nuclear, chemical, biological warfare, everything. There was a programme to follow at Purbright, but at Deep Cut, it, it wasn't like that. During the day, you know, you'd have a parade early in the morning and then people would be split into different groups. Some people would be washing clothes, some people would be peeling potatoes, some people would be cutting grass, others would be doing physical training, others w would just be uh, messed about on parade, guard duty, cleaning cleaning rifles, so it, it had no meaning to it. 
So it was completely chaotic and it was psychologically, it was tiring and mentally it was tiring. So, you know, we used to hide in the, the ceiling of, you know, the, the rafters at the top, you could push them up and climb into the rafters and put them back and the instructors couldn't find you. Uh, I mentioned that you were at Deep Cut at the same time as Sean Benton, who died of five gunshot wounds uh, to his chest in 1995. An inquest did record a verdict of suicide, although his family have um, questioned that and they're in the process of trying to get a, a second inquest. Um, the report that looked at um, what had been going on at Deep Cut by Nicholas Blake QC concluded that there's no evidence that Sean had been bullied before his death nor that he had ever complained of bullying to his close friends or anyone in authority. Any overharsh discipline to which he may have been subject during his military career did not cause him to take his life. Um, do you accept that? No, not at all. Why not? I disagree. Um, I didn't know Sean on a personal level, I have to be honest, but I knew him well because we were there at the same time. In a weird kind of sense, we had parallel lives because we both um, were sent to Leckenfield around the same time. We both failed. Uh, our C category C licence and we were both sent back to uh, Deep Cut. Um, but I witnessed Sean um, being singled out and he was constantly, constantly punished, um, often for no reason, evidently. I, I couldn't see any reason. He was definitely singled out. His, even his reputation preceded him. You know, you could often see him walking across the field or running across the field with an instructor shouting behind him because he was constantly punished. The Ministry of Defence said it had already indicated to the force that it wished to investigate the most serious claims as a matter of urgency. The confidential report, which focuses on the years in which the four soldiers died, was presented to the Commons Defence Select Committee as part of its investigation into the duty of care regimes of the three armed services. In its annexes, the report lists dozens of serious allegations from both male and female recruits, including many criminal offences. According to the dossier, when one former female trainee went to the guardroom at the barracks to complain she had been raped, she was told she would be disciplined for being in the male accommodation. Another said her complaint of rape had been ignored. One trainee complained she had been urinated on during the night by an officer, while other female trainees claimed they had been indecently assaulted while in bed. A male recruit told of a racist group at the base known as the Black Card Club, who would place a card with a cross on it on the bed of a, or a locker of a recruit who was due a beating. Another told how poor performing trainees would be subjected to beatings by other recruits who would wear respirator masks to hide their identities. The dossier includes claims that trainees were forced to parade in the middle of the night in their underwear, while on another occasion they were allegedly forced to stand outside in their boxer shorts while an officer threw darts at them. Many alleged that officers were having sex with female recruits, with some claiming that officers would use their position to offer an easier life in return for sexual favours. In another way, it's extortion. Other female recruits were pressured harassed or coaxed into sexual favours, it was claimed. One female recruit was ordered to run around the parade square wearing just a beret and mess tins, while another was forced to swim in a cesspool. Other youngsters complained of having sustained physical injuries as a result of bullying, suffered nervous breakdowns, or attempted suicide. We had to make a shower scrape, which is basically a shallow trench. And ours wasn't done deep enough. It was... It was lopsided basically. The corporal sat around and uh, basically shouted at us, said it wasn't good enough and sat around and said, uh, sure, lay in there. So I've laid in there. Next thing I know, they, they all jumped in on top of me. 
like a bundle. One of the instructors landed feet first onto Danny Shaw's back, causing a hairline fracture. It was really, 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 really painful. Um, you know, it was like it was someone had grabbed hold of my spine and pulled it out. That's how it felt. I was upset. Uh, I was trying not to cry, basically. You know, you, you're in that environment now. The, you're a soldier. You, you don't cry. You don't cry. One even said he put a gun in his mouth and considered shooting himself due to the constant abuse. The allegations were compiled by Surrey Police during its investigation into the deaths of Jeff Gray, 17, from Durham, Sean Benton, 20, from Hastings, East Sussex, James Collinson, 17, from Perth, and Cheryl James, 18, from Langolin, North Wales. Sorry if I get any of that wrong. The force took statements from more than 500 current soldiers during its exhaustive 15-month inquiry. Its final report called on the government to launch a broad inquiry to examine bullying and the care of young soldiers across the army as a whole. It gets a lot worse worse when you really get into the grisly details from those who were abused. For example, Dan Griffiths, now 38, joined up on the same day as Cheryl James in 1995. They were both 17 and did their 10 weeks basic training at Purbright in Surrey. He says, and I quote, I'd always been that little action man as a kid and always wanted to join the army. End quote. He describes the regime at Purbirth as bright, hard at the time, but good fun. Dan Griffith was small for his age, he weighed under nine stone, and he describes how one morning in the middle of a room inspection, he was singled out by one NCO who used a broom handle to beat him unconscious. Quote, he just came straight towards me. He didn't push me over with his hand, he just pushed me over with his body. You could see that he was angry, and we didn't know why. He then stormed back out. 30 seconds or so later, he came back in with a broom handle. I felt the one hit, he broke my fingers, and then he swung at my head, and that's the last I remember, really, of that. End quote. He was later told by roommates that the attack had continued while he lay unconscious. Quote, I then learned that he'd gone into the broom cupboard and got the other half of the broom handle and come back in and then carried on whilst I was unconscious to beat me. End quote. When he came around, his attacker was gone and he was in agony with a large lump on his head, bruises all over his body and three broken fingers. Quote, I remember walking to the medical centre in a lot of pain. It hurt. I remember not having the confidence to say what had actually gone on, so I just said that I fell down the stairs. End quote. He says the culture at Deep Cut was so intimidating that he wouldn't have contemplated reporting the attack, and despite his injuries, he carried on with physical training. Quote, If you can imagine training with logs, doing lots of runs, lots of push-ups, when your whole body is aching and there's nobody you can go to. End quote. The next day, he saw his attacker. Quote, It was as if it didn't happen. It was just another day for him. End quote. All the former Deep Cut soldiers who have spoken to the BBC say that such behaviour went unpunished. They felt they couldn't report it to those instructors who were in charge of their welfare because they, or those close to them, were the bullies. In the 1990s, women had just begun training alongside men for the first time. At Deep Cut, this was said to have led to a predatory environment where sexual harassment was routine, and for some, there was worse. I did single out a few women um, and a few boys as well um, that they didn't like. There was one quite big incident where a girl was pulled out of the parade because she had some hairs on her upper lip and under her jawline. They humiliated her in front of everybody and made her stand there and have a shave. One female former trainee, anonymous in the program and only known by the pseudonym Suzanne, says she was hooded and then raped by men who'd come into the female accommodation block. 
quote, I was like half asleep and then the next thing is I felt something being put over my head. I couldn't breathe and I started getting punched at first and I was being held down. Sobbing, she went on, I know there were definitely two of them. I was forced on and it just seemed to last for ages. I couldn't breathe. I tried to fight at first to get them off me, but I couldn't. I was trying to tell them to stop, but I couldn't because I was just held down, end quote. Like Dan Griffith, Suzanne didn't report the attack. Quote, I didn't tell anyone. I was too frightened to. I was just scared because I didn't know who it was and you couldn't talk to anyone. I could have been going to tell somebody who'd been in that room. I still haven't been able to talk about it for the last 20 years. End quote. Julia Bolton, I'm sorry if I get that name wrong, was one of the few female non-commissioned officers, NCOs at Deep Cut in the mid-1990s. She believes the base was out of control and she says of her follow instructors, quote, a lot of them were actually put there because nobody else wanted them. It sort of had a bit of a bad reputation of being a dumping ground to getting rid of unwanted NCOs, end quote. At 22, Dawn Benjamin was slightly older than most of her fellow recruits when she joined up in 1995. She says as the only black woman in her troop, she was subjected to racist abuse from one NCO at Deep Cut. And she describes being targeted during her basic training at Purbright by an instructor who had eaten a banana. Quote, I was told to take the banana peel and put it in my pouch, you monkey. So I took the banana peel and put it in my pouch, end quote. I was the only black female uh, within the troop. Um, in fact, I was the only black female in the whole squadron. Dawn says she was targeted from the outset. I'd gone to collect my shells from the bullets. Um, I was told by a lieutenant who had eaten a, uh, a banana to take the, uh, the banana peel and to place it in my pouch, you monkey. I then took the banana peel and placed it in my pouch. I was quite wary. Um, confused. Um, but I didn't want to give up, I didn't. It didn't stop from there, really, from from Purbright, it carried on from Purbright to uh, Dibcourt to my unit, which was the worst time of my, <sighs> gosh, yeah. Um, it didn't stop then. The word that they used to use was that was the word and it was a, a word that they all used and I I just didn't understand why why that would be a word that the, the British Army would use. Dawn, now 44, says someone else reported this and the instructor was made to apologise, but the episode made her begin to question army culture. Quote, I was quite weary and confused, but I didn't want to give up. End quote. She stayed in the army for eight years and says throughout her career she suffered abuse because of her colour. Other female recruits tell of how instructors at Purbright carried out serious sexual assaults on them. One says she was singled out on the day of her passing our parade while her family was on the base. She didn't tell them or anyone else. In a statement, the army said, quote, 
We cannot comment on the allegations now being made by individuals who were at training establishments during this time, some or all of which may have previously been considered as part of civilian and military police inquiries. We would strongly encourage anyone who has not reported alleged criminal behaviour to contact the police, end quote. Stressing that the Army has taken steps in the last 20 years to improve training facilities, it added, and I quote, We care deeply about our recruits and take our responsibility for their welfare extremely seriously. All armed forces training sites are now subject to independent scrutiny by OFSTD inspectors and their assessments to help us to drive continuous improvement. OFSTD recently found all establishments to be either good or excellent. The Chief of the General Staff has been clear that creating a diverse, inclusive Army that treats all its soldiers with respect is one of its highest priorities and that the army will not tolerate unacceptable behavior in any form end quote there was however a very bittersweet ending a former training instructor at the controversial deep cut army barracks was jailed for four and a half years for a series of sex attacks some of them sadomasochistic on young male soldiers ex-warrant officer leslie skinner 46 used his position to subject vulnerable naive teenagers to sexual assaults some involving riding whips and canes skinner who was sentenced at kingston crown court had a known history of predatory sexual behavior towards teenage boys but the british army had allowed him to train recruits at the surrey barracks the court heard his victims had feared the consequences of disobeying orders Skinner, who was married with two young children, had been due to stand trial facing nine charges of indecent assault and one of male rape. However, with a jury already sworn in to try him, he changed his plea at the last moment, admitting five counts of a decent assault. Four indecent assault charges and the charge of a male rape will lie on file. The sexual attacks Skinner admitted to were carried out on recruits aged 17 to 19 between 1992 and 1997. His victims had remained silent about the assault for up to 10 years because they said they knew Skinner was rank and in the army you did what you were told. Skinner of Martin near Gainsborough, Lincolnshire had kept canes and a riding crop in his locker at the base for sexual purposes. It emerged that he had been sent from deep cut after having already been convicted of a sexual offence by a court-martial. In 1996, his rank was reduced to private after he indecently exposed himself to a 17-year-old boy in a car park in Lisbon, Northern Ireland. Instead of being discharged from the army, he was sent to deep cut later that year. Quote, For some reason best known to itself, the army then placed you in a position where you were in contact with and had influence over young recruits, Judge Charles Tilling told him. Quote, Far from heeding the warning that you're a reduction in rank should have given you, you proceeded to indecently assault another three young vulnerable soldiers. Those who enter the army at that sort of age have and should expect to be able to have protection from this sort of behaviour. End quote. The court heard that in addition to the case in Northern Ireland and the assault Skinner was sentenced for, he had also been court-martialed for a further indecent assault and jailed for six months before being discharged. Skinner's actions in the 90s first came to light when one of his former victims decided to speak out about the abuse after watching a discussion on the BBC's Kilroy program. Four men eventually came forward to tell the police of assaults ranging from one waking up to find Skinner performing a sex act on him to others being made to take part in sadomasochism. Skinner was not accused of of any connection with the deaths of four young recruits at Deep Cut between 1995 and 2002, which officials said were suicides. However, his case highlighted fresh concerns about the care of young soldiers inside the barracks. The families of the dead soldiers have called for a public inquiry and have criticised what they believe was a culture of bullying at the base. The revelation that Skinner had been court-martialed prompted Diane Gray, whose son Jeff died at Deep Cut in September of 2001, to remark, quote, It was like he was given young, vulnerable recruits on a plate, end quote. That was part one. Join me next week until then.